Mr. Rogers was like definitely like a real like father figure. You know, that was like somebody who was talking to me directly about like real feelings in my life, you know. And the thing that stick like sticks with me about those ideas is the idea there's the fact that you can just go do them. You know, like if you like what he does, just do it yourself. You know? And like literally anybody can do that. So when I hear people say like, oh, I wish he was still around. What if well, there's nobody like that? I'm like, actually, there is. You're like that. <laughs> I meet a lot of people like that. <laughs> um, I, I try to be like that every day. I think it's a great example of all of Welcome to You Can Do It, Do It, a podcast with Steve Carroll and J.P. Camara, where we interview people whose lives were transformed by trying something new. We are here today with Ricky Katowitz. Yeah. Did I get it right? That's right. Ricky Katowitz. There it is. I All right. Nailed it. What is this space that we're in? What is it? What's it? I mean, I, I always call it my studio, um, but I mean, I don't have a more like, ha- I don't have a happier place for me. Like, and. You know, anywhere. Like, I don't have, I don't have another workspace that's like this. So, um, I have had lots of different studios, but it's kind of nice when I can just set up a studio in a basement, um, and like have it be my own, more so yeah. than any other space. Like, so this isn't the first like basement studio I've had, but um, we moved to this house a couple of years ago, and I spent some time thinking about how I wanted to do this, and um, I never do like like a huge overhaul because I like keeping it as raw as possible and just kind of adding a lot of color and light. So that's what I try to do. And yeah. I have way too many light bulbs. It's definitely better lit than most any basement <laughs> I've ever been in, even the yeah. finished basement. Yeah. I, it's just cause I have a lot of lamps everywhere. Yeah. Mm. And so it's, I even like each one's like I turn them on and even that's part of the process of coming mm. here. Like I want to turn and which ones I want to ch- turn on. So, yeah. mm-hmm. So how does the space inform your creativity? I mean, it's like it, it becomes part of the work too, you know? Um, so like anything that I place here is like placed in a very specific place for a reason. I think it's interesting that I, I think you more so than anyone we've talked to so far when we've been in, in their creative space is that you have a very, um, you have a, a structure and like a, a direction in mind for your space, like a very specific direction. I want it to be like kind of part gallery for myself and part like, you know, e- easy to use space too. So I like definitely try to think about like, oh, I'm going to have like some materials here, but then I'm going to have like papers under here. And then I'm going to have like, I need to stack a cardboard somewhere. Um, I need paint somewhere, like maybe right above my head, you know. Um, but generally I just want to see a lot of color everywhere. So the the centerpiece is really just like this... Uh, drawing table which I use um, like primarily it's for like drawing or arranging objects together and um, I never fully clean it like I cleaned it for you guys but there's still a bunch of junk on the table <laughs> like even even there's even like random enough piles like even if I clean it a lot I still leave random piles and then the piles inform ideas you know like if you a lot of times I'll just leave like a pile of something and be like, oh, wait, that might work. You know, like that pile of um, cords right there is going to be a baby for that um, telephone headed girl. Her name is Rhoda. 
So that's this is Rhoda. <laughs> Rhoda phone. Rhoda Re is her Rhoda her last Ree. name is Re. Um, <laughs> and it's the head of Rhoda. And usually she's played by someone who um, just spends the whole time just talking to herself on the phone. So <laughs> she's like a self reflexive person, you know. But she's had a she's gonna have a a baby in the next show. So oh man, that's like a secret insider knowledge. Yes, yeah. but like probably when this comes out that would literally have happened so yeah yay <laughs> um <laughs> uh so the but that's like the start of her baby really it's just going to be like a pile of cords you know a little bundle of cords yeah sort of like the cutest version of of uh whatever your form is is like a baby right, right. so this like desk is my centerpiece for like everything i no matter what i want i i think about where i put this first in a space um but then like having like a bookshelf full of books that yeah. even if I've read all of them, like I definitely want to have them nearby. Um, that, that helps a lot. Uh, like I said before, lamps kind of everywhere. Um, yeah. um, I need, I need those. Uh, um, I like having a good end table. Like I have a bright yellow one over there and that's, that makes me happy. Um, uh, also a sewing machine. I need a sewing machine, uh, for a bunch of reasons. Um, uh, I don't really use it in its most traditional ways. Uh, I use it to draw pictures and like, I, I like making letter forms out of the stitching. So I do a lot of like just stitched phrases. There's one on the wall over there. Um, but, uh, that's my, like my favorite thing to draw on a sewing machine. I also use it for, um, like sort of the basis of a lot of the noise music that I make too. So I put a, I put like contact mics and, and guitar pickups in it and on it um and like i don't know it's um it's an oscillating machine so it you can get a lot of different sounds with it so i like it for that reason too so how did you discover that you could use a sewing machine for these things so the like the drawing aspect um actually i when i was at RISD, i i took a class my freshman year uh that was called unconventional materials and it was just about using the sewing machine for uh, for anything. I mean, drawing was one of the things, but it was really just for making, um, you know, basically visual art with a sewing machine. Um, and there, and people took it in a lot of different directions. But I started like in that class, I started doing like a drawing a day on the on the thing. So I did it. That was like first practice of that. But then I just continued. Uh, doing it from that like first year, like in 2001, I just kept, I kept doing it. I still do it. Um, and I like that. I like do it, using it more for that than making clothes or, you know, actual, you know, th- like the intended reason of a sewing machine. So. <laughs> and did you use it for garments before you used it for its unintended purposes or? Yes. Yeah. I mean like the, for, and I, it, it sort of made me like the sewing machine a little bit more because they hmm. like the weightiness of, having to make a perfect garment was never something I thought I'd be good at. And I'm, I have never gotten that good at it. Uh, and there, there are some people I see them. So and I'm like, Oh, it's so perfect. Everything's so perfect. I, I mean, I don't do things that way. So, um, I mean, I still make, I make clothes, uh, and like using it in a more playful way made it more fun for me. Yeah. So, yeah. And you have a large collection of multicolored cloths, the different patterns and stuff. Do you, so you make clothes out of those as well, or just kind of, yeah. is that another inspirational piece? I make plush or puppets or, or yeah, clothing. Yeah. I've done I, whatever I can make with fabric. I 
probably tried to make it. You know, I made I made some quilts before. Um, I don't know, uh, but yeah, also just having like folded, color coded fabric is another. Yeah, like it's another way to have like a rainbow in your studio. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> relaxing to look at it. Frankly, like I'm I'm staring directly at a bunch of shelves with different like patterns and I mean the colors that are in each shelf are roughly matching, I think. Um and yeah, watching that as I'm talking to you is actually very relaxing. <laughs> That's good. So, you you started school at RISD what 14, 15, 16 years ago? Yeah, it was 2001. 2001. Yeah. Wow. What did you decide to study initially? Oh, I was, I went to school like um, knowing I'm going to be a fashion designer. Like that is what I'm doing. So that, and that's hence the sewing machine. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to be a fashion designer. I'm going to make like beautiful lines of clothing. Also fashion designers felt like close to being a rock star, but like with a, a job that I could tell my parents was real. Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I play uh, so, music for people in <laughs> yeah, the, right. large crowds. I mean, I loved doing that. When I was in high school, I loved like performing. I mean, that was definitely what I liked the most. Um, but I convinced myself that I wanted to be a fashion designer. So I, I – like it definitely was like a convincing or like even like a slight seduction because I, I love fashion. I mean, without a doubt, like I still love it. Um, I I think it can be really funny, but it's it turns out most of the time to just be really – uh, catty and heady, um, you know, and I don't, don't like that in any kind of art. So, mm-hmm. um, so like, a, I, I like a lightness and there are some fashion designers that do that. Um, but I got to the, I got to the end of school and like in 2005 was when I graduated, but I got to the end and it was like, I'm not going to be a fashion designer. Like I just didn't, I didn't want to do it at all. Uh, and you had I, spent your, your whole uh, RISD experience doing yeah. fashion design. It took me, it took me again in my senior year to, to like realize that. But my, I know my, like my first year at RISD is, um, your, your foundation year anyway. So it's a real exploratory experimental time. And also you're just inundated with work. They like there's, you know, every teacher is giving you so much to do and you're just like part of this weird, like art army, you know, your freshman year. Um, and like everybody's doing it. So you're, you just find like a tribe of other people like working nonstop and, and it was fun, but I like knew I was going there for f- fashion. So it wasn't like a question. What am I going to study? Oh, I'm going to study apparel design. This has all been fun. I like all of this experimentation in a lot of different areas, but I know what I'm going to do already. And then like the f- sophomore and junior years are just like m- mostly you're learning a lot of technical craft. You know, that's, you're all, you're designing, you're designing collections and learning a lot of technical craft. So I like, I learned all about pattern making and draping and drafting a pattern and, uh, and the tailoring and, uh, like machine knitting and, um, you know, and I, I got all these skills in those years and didn't really think about the, um, the like marketing business aspect of fashion design until my senior year when it started like coming through and it felt like like the more I took it in, the more like vacuous it seemed to me. And, and I, uh, I think at that same time, I also started to be like, I was th- started getting really interested in like teaching, you know, I, I kind of saw that, um, that I'd like to help the world in a real meaningful way. And I think that 
I remember, I remember at the time, like, Oh, if you can really like work with five-year-olds, um, like those, that's a time when people are really like forming and it's like such an, it's an informative time for anybody to be five, to be five. Um, and I'm like, I, I think I want to like, like work with five-year-olds and then my, and I ended up designing like my, like my senior thesis collection with a group of kindergartners. So like I went in there every week and like worked with them. Like close for kids or just inspired? No, by... just inspired by them. You yeah. know, I'd like wow. every week I'd just go in there and give them different exercises and then see what they did with them. And then wow. I'd apply their ideas to the, to the clothing that I would design. Um, but in the process, I just found that I'm like, well, I really want to kind of work with these kids more. And I want to work for these kids. I don't want to work for clothing. I want to work for mm. these kids. I don't want to work for children's clothing. Cause it's just clothing. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to be involved in, like creating experiences for children. That was, you know, where, and I thought being a teacher would be a, a, a good way to do it. But I also felt that at like 22 years old, I shouldn't go and teach kindergarten. Like it would be unfair to the kindergartners. <laughs> <laughs> like this is way too important. This is an important job, way too important for a 22 year old guy to do. <laughs> sure. Right. Uh, so I've, I felt like confused about what to do. Hmm. Um, so what happened? What happened? What happened following? Yeah, that? I I I had one job offer from Abercrombie and Fitch, like to come do like kids, like in their kids' clothing line. Oh my gosh! And I was like, I'm not. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So I just sabotaged that, like that opportunity, and uh, I ended up. Um, you know, I lived with my mother for for like a summer, and she just like at the end of the summer, she just threw me out of the house. You know, and uh, and I didn't really have a place to really go, and I I just like lived in a mill space that I wasn't supposed to be living in through a winter, um, and went to uh, the Rhode Island College Library every day, and worked at this coffee shop I worked at in high school because I I knew that I could get dates like when I was in high school working there, mm. so I'm like I'm going back there to find a wife, and this is what my this is how I'm gonna do my life now. Like, so I, I essentially like made a fake graduate program by like going to the Rick library every day and read a ton of philosophy and religion and poetry. That was like, that was what I did every day. So you worked at the coffee shop. You lived in this mill yep. illegally, I guess. Yep. <laughs> and you went to Rick library every day, just kind of like went under the radar. I mean, they, yep. they, they don't, don't really, well, they you're don't a Rhode Island resident. You can go and nobody cares. And it's such a oh, good okay. library. Yeah. Like I started off by just like reading all John Cage books. That was like the first thing but then he just points you in different directions of what else to read and that was essentially it was like like grad school by the way of john cage you know that was that was how i got there crazy how long did you do that for i did it from like an october of 2005 to february of 2006 like during that time though i met my wife at the coffee shop Oh my, so it worked. It literally yeah, it worked. worked. Totally worked. <laughs> exactly the way I like you recommend it would. everybody do the homeless <laughs> like class for yourself, yeah. and just uh, go yeah, and that, and coffee shops. October to February, you're doing a self guided grad program, working at a coffee shop. What what revelations happened for you during that time to kind of guide your next steps? I wasn't really firmly on the ground. So a lot of revelations were like spiritual in nature during that time, um, like way more so than any other time in my life. And I also realized that like I can just get by on like one bag, right? So actually like 
This is the actual bag I That's used. The bag. This bag. So, um, a little duffel. Yeah, just a, probably just like a travel bag, like a carry-on travel bag, really. Yeah. Um, and that's where I had all my stuff. Um, and also, people are kind. I think that like that started to rip, like ripple through. Um, I I wore the same thing every day. I didn't shower during that time. So, like, and nobody. I worked at a coffee shop. I mean, I would like clean myself but i didn't take like a shower that was actually like when i took a shower in february that was the best shower of my life (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was probably like a miracle yeah it was the best shower ever (laughs) then moving out of that time what i guess meeting your wife was one of the things to Mm kind of shift that for you what what pulled you out of living in the mill building yeah, I mean, I, it was actually like a close friend from school invited me to stay with her in Maine for like a like a for a few days. Yeah, you know? and that was like you know beginning of February, like so it was a cold time. It was snowy and things, but she kind of like just invited me and like in a way like took care of me in this nice way. It, it just like oh, you know I was like the shower. I had a shower. I got you know she made me like fresh granola and things that were just like nice. And we're like, see, life's cozy, Ricky. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was definitely part of it. You know, it's like a good friend wanting to like show you that you can take care of yourself a little bit better, but in like a kind way, not in like a, hey, you need to pick yourself up kind of way. And I remember stuff like that. Like I, I try to be careful with anybody that I, I talked to. I don't want to tell people like how to do things, like what to do or to like down their way of life, however they are. Um, I I certainly was shown that kindness, and I think it's important for for everybody to know that like wherever you're at is kind of it's fine. Um, you know, it's it's where you're it's where you are right now. You know, and like I don't want to judge it. Um, work as hard as I can, try to not judge where people are in life. So yeah, um, but sometimes like the easiest way to accept something is to just have it be happening around you like seeing it but not having the person like you're saying like she was just like hey like i'm doing these nice things for you i'm living i'm not homeless i'm doing these things for myself and you know and you're just kind of like oh you know like this could work for me too just nice just people being nice yeah and living like the way they live around you yeah just being the way they are around you i think is super nice um that's another thing i know it's one of the like Fred Rogers quotes that I liked was that like the best teacher and he took this from like one of his teachers, which like the best teacher is someone who just loves what they do and loves it in front of you. And I love, I love that. So, um, uh, yeah, like following that, I mean, I meeting Talia put, pulled me out a lot of other stuff too. You know, I, I was like, I smoked cigarettes when I met her and she didn't, and I would smoke around, like I'd smoke around her and, and offer, and she would like, I don't want that. But she would never like say, please don't do that. Um, I would just do it. I could see that she didn't like it, and it just made me not want to do it until I just stopped doing it. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's something I think about all the time, which is that I can't force someone else to do something or not do something. You know, um, So just try to re- remind myself not to say anything about it. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of studies that show that people actually get more entrenched in things they do when you tell them not to do it. It so totally makes you, you want to do it so bad. Yeah, just like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't do that. Well, watch this. Like, I'm going to do that. Yeah, I'm going to do it so hard. <laughs> I've smoked so many cigarettes. Man, if, my, if our kids are anything like me, 
Me and your kids? I, I, no, my, my kids. Mine, mine and my wife's kids. If they turn out to be anything like me in that regard, we're in for a world of trouble. I see the yeah, You guys will have to just like <laughs> not be doing things around them to get them to do it, or you I, just. I think, I think there's, there's almost this disposition we'll need to have in our house where everything is permissive. Literally, you can do anything you want. We are totally in support of you. And I think that, that will keep them from actually doing things rather than us telling them no. Yeah, it's, I mean, Tali and I almost have a different perspective on this. So, <laughs> I mean, part of it is like respecting that we're both coming from these different spaces, which also is its own hard thing, right? Where you're like, well, you, you want to tell her not to do – you want to like keep her and you want to provide the discipline a lot. And like I want to not do that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's like work together on this like yeah but then you're fun dad and i'm like yeah. mean, mean mom, mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah i mean that's where we're at right that's the character i play <laughs> yeah hi welcome i'm this is the fun dad show <laughs> and my arch nemesis mean mom <laughs> this is very unfair <laughs> yeah it's tough <laughs> How you guys it? figure it out, or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we we definitely do. Yeah, and like no matter what, the idea is that like sh- like she doesn't get to manipulate us. Like like we're, we're gonna share. So it's like yeah, you like I know what you're doing, child. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we both do. Yeah, we have different perspectives, but we're working together. Yeah, against you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the quote of the episode. We have different perspectives, but we're working together against you. <laughs> It's the the enemy of my enemy is my. Friend. That's right. Yeah. I mean, for it's for your it's for your own good, kid. <laughs> kid, <laughs> just turn out fine. <laughs> so How, has yeah. uh do do you feel that starting a, a children's show has made you a better parent? That's my you can do it do it thing. Right? Yeah, I mean I um I don't know I don't okay. I don't I definitely don't think that they're uh, connected. Yeah, I, in a way, they could get it could easily get in the way of being a good parent, like, like more so than not doing it. Because um, I even find now um, that the more I do the show, the more that kids in this community know who I am, and that they're stealing part of me from my daughter. Right? Huh. Like I know, I know that that's happening. Because like, and I talk about i mean the show we talk about all our feelings and do the same thing with my daughter i want to talk about her feelings with her and she's expressed that to me that she's like you know like oh you, all these kids they know you too you know yeah they like know where you're coming from and i'm real with them you know the same way i'd be with her um so it, it's def that's its own struggle i'm still gonna do it because i think it's really important work um and i what i what i do like to do is include my family as much as possible in it. And I think that's, that's the part that keeps it positive. Um, yeah, I had that like an experience of seeing how like different like art, art families like work with their kids. And I've, like, I remember that I don't want to say any names of people, but there's like two families that I get to like witness. And one were like, you know, pretty, um, well off art, like they're pretty well-known artists. And I get to like go visit them one day and saw that their kids who are like teenagers. And I guess most teenagers would hate what their parents do, but they really hated what their parents did. Like they wanted to do the opposite stuff in life. Um, and, and I saw the way they worked. They were like, so in their studio all the time and they were traveling and doing lots of stuff. Um, 
And then I saw another family that weren't like well-known artists, but they're both like making stuff every day and they're making it with their kids and they had teenage kids and their teenage kids were interested in art, interested in like what they did. And they, they, they all had their own personalities, but they all were interested in each other's interests. And I'm like, well, I want a family like that. You know, I'd like, it was, it was like before having a kid and getting to see this and it was like two foils. And so that's I definitely try to, in this house it's like everybody has their own interests but we all like respect and want to know more about each other's interests so that that definitely helps a lot yeah do you find that some of your characters come from your daughter's interests yeah yeah i mean she's like named half of them or awesome oh, you nice. know i mean she's <laughs> she's named characters she's been on the show as a guest uh, like three times now um she she likes performing which is like a like it's a joy for me. Tal- Talia uh, does not <laughs> like that at all. Uh, she is like a supreme introvert. Um, uh, so, but you know, Sparrow shares the interest of just getting up in front of people and doing whatever, which is and in an awkward way. Uh, and <laughs> I couldn't ask for anything more than that. <laughs> you know, uh, it's sort of like the the show does celebrate an, a type of awkwardness that. Uh, is okay. I mean, that's why I did tell you that, like, in one scene, these fans talk to each other for like three minutes, and yeah. they're just fans that were on, on stage. Yeah, they were on okay. stage. I walked off. I'm like, I'm gonna let fancy interviewer parents, <laughs> and I'll be back in a couple minutes. So, and see you guys. And it was just fans, just blowing. So how did and there's something <laughs> about how the kids? I think there's something about digging in. I mean, at least for adults, I, I am interested in the kid perspective because there's something about like an adult seeing something dug into that much that becomes funnier as it goes on. Because at first you're like, ah, it's funny. Like yeah. he's got fans talking and then it's like, we're still here. He's yeah. still having these fans talking and it becomes funnier. Like do kids respond in a similar way or? Yes. They do. Um, they, I mean, they're also like the sh- on the show, I welcome their interruptions. So in a way, like if they see something like that, they kind of want to interrupt and they're like curious. And I, um, I like that parents just like, let them go up and like, mm-hmm. see what's going on. Oh, and the start, kids like, go up poking and, at it and being nice. like, what is this even, you know, and definitely just liking a fan. Well, I think some of the most boring objects that we could think of in <laughs> right. life, kids are like fascinated by it. Like I remember I've been, I've been doing these birthday shows, um, like, this past month, I've had a couple of people ask me to do like a birthday party and I've been like, I have this like box of presents essentially. And we play a game show called, are you present? And the, <laughs> the it's the only game show where all you have to do is show up and you get a present. Um, <laughs> but like one of the things I had were just like new car scent air fresheners. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and like most of the kids wanted these more than anything else that I had. So <laughs> This is dumb. <laughs> but it's got a smell. You can hang it up. It's and decorative. And nobody's given them things like this. No. no. <laughs> and some would say for a reason, but you would say no. I mean, They're- well, it's for – I mean, no, no matter what, and I like it all boils down to this for me anyways. It's just that I want to promote curiosity above all the other things, right? So if people are there asking like, why is this happening? Why is this going on? Why – if they're asking that, then that's great. Actually, like that's where I'm. I can like leave, you know, at that point. Like you're, if you're asking that question, cool. Um, I'm not gonna answer it for you because that's unfair, and you're not gonna learn as much from it. So, like, if you're asking why, I don't. I think it leads to other 
like explorations. So, and to you know, we we kind of jumped into the Ricky well, Rainbow Beard show or yeah. Ricky Rainbow Beard show, and to take a step back and like you mentioned, you know, it's kind of your you can do it, do it. It's a yeah a newer thing for you. I mean, I know it's a at least a few years old, or probably a process you've been percolating on, you know, for almost two decades now in a way. I I knew that I wanted to do wanted to like do some sort of kids related show for pro- like probably like since I was a little kid you know and like that inspiration for that came from you know being super into like Pee Wee's Playhouse and being really into Mister Rogers' Neighborhood um, those those two shows spoke to me a lot in those like formative years um, even in a way like Mister Rogers was like definitely like a real like father figure you know that was like somebody who was talking to me directly about like real feelings in my life you know and and i and so that it definitely meant something to me and like just got like imprinted on me me and many other people in this country so like that's all being shown right now through like this wave of interests in in mr rogers yeah and it's really like just those ideas and i think um the thing that stick like sticks with me about those ideas is the idea is the fact that you can just go do them. You know, like if you like what he does, just do it yourself. And like literally anybody can do that. So when I hear people say like, Oh, I wish he was still around. What if there's nobody like that? I'm like, actually there is, you're like that. (laughs) I meet a lot of people like that. (laughs) Um, I, I try to be like that every day. I think it's a great example to follow. Um, so, so that one it spoke to me a lot, and then and then also like Pee Wee's Playhouse was just a like eruption of color and like pattern and and puppets and uh, there like I don't think there's really not been anything like better than that. And like as a kid, you just I just knew that it was the show. And then uh, in, as I got older and know that I make things and and you start seeing who who makes the things, um, then then I found the the artists involved with it. Right, so. Um, Gary Panter was is a like a comics artist, and he was like one of the trio that formed what was like the entire production design of Pee Wee's Playhouse. So Gary Panter was a cartoonist, so a lot of the pattern work and graphic and color stuff was Gary Panter. And then Wayne White was a uh, like a puppet, he was a puppet maker and a puppeteer, and did a lot of goofy puppet stuff. Also made comics too, um, and so he he drew a lot. And he got, and then this other guy, Rick Heitzman, sort of like drew them together. It was sort of like the the buddy in between these two like genius dudes, um, uh, and they collectively made the visual aspect of that. So then I got really into Wayne White and Gary Panter. Read read those, check them out, and see like, oh, these guys like definitely inspired me a lot. Like both of these artists. Um, yeah, I never. I mean, it's funny that you're mentioning these people, and it's I've like literally never. I mean, you know, coming from the perspective of a person who doesn't do the arts, certainly in any way like you, uh, I've never thought about the fact that, like, there's this whole crew of people that are integral to how Pee-wee's Playhouse came together. It's just They're like, oh, it's, it. it's, you know, Pee-wee Herman, that's it. But, like, it's it's not a one-man show. And he was a, he was a character. I mean, right. he was a character that Paul Rubens created, and right. then and they built a world for him in that. Right. You know, so, like, people reference, like, Pee-wee's Big Adventure a lot, which I think is a great movie. But, like, my Pee-wee lives in peewee's playhouse which right. is this other other world and i mean it certainly comes through like the <laughs> the like slightly derivative nature of all the 
characters in my like I don't I don't seek for it to be like that, but it's gonna come through because there was something about that uh expressiveness and raw quality to it that I liked. So um but I think what I what Pee Wee didn't have as much as Mr. Rogers was this like supreme empathy and a focus on like authentic feelings, you know. I mean the way Pee Wee dealt with it was to just be a brat all the time. <laughs> you know? And like that's interesting. I certainly explored that in the genesis of like figuring out this character. Mm. Um, but I I don't want to be like that, and I don't like like it's honest to be a little bit angry about things sometimes, and it's it's honest to be a little wrong, you know. Mm. And it's it's cool to bring that up. I've done things on the show where I like I have this character called Iron Man because he's an iron headed <laughs> man. I think he deserves the name more than the superhero. So. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, there's episodes where I have just a person wearing, like, all white, and they have this iron, and they just, like, like use their head to iron clothing on an ironing board. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, thre- like, a durational piece throughout the show. So, it's just this iron man ironing a load of my laundry. Like, I'll come out and dump it on there. Yeah. Ironing it. And at one point of the show, I check in on the ironing and be like, what? How's it going? Let's check in. Let's check on the ironing, guys. And we walk <laughs> over and... Uh, Iron Man, how you doing? And he holds up a shirt, and I'm like, "Whew, how, I got guys." How do you think this looks? And then people are like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "No, this is super wrinkly still." <laughs> <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Look how wrinkled the shirt is. And then I like throw it in his face and be like, "You did a terrible job." And then everybody collectively, like, yes. they're like, oh, "Don't treat him like that." It's like that right. that that uh, that like, why are you doing that? That's like, oh, right. Um. And then I like apologize and say, "Well, you're right. You know, I I should say what I mean. Now, I should say what I mean. I don't need to say it mean, you know." Huh. And I say, and I, and I like put it back on the audience. Like, I know that none of you guys ever yell at your appliances. To answer, go back, answer a question of like where this came from. Like, actually, I I keep the same size like sketchbooks. So there's like a bunch of there's like a row of them over there. Um, so I've like kept that same size for like the past 12 years or so. And I, I, I pretty much like fill up one of those every six months. And a lot of them just had ideas for show, like different characters, different things that I'd wanted to explore. Um, but I never really just did it. And I think it takes a little like bit of kick in the pants from some people, you know, and like to go back to that idea of just like doing the kind thing. Um, I had... Um, I had talked about the show with different different friends and people, and uh, my friend Teddy, uh, was, you know, asked me to help him make some puppets for a show he was doing. And I said, "Yeah, I can, I can help you." And I, I kind of snoozed on that for a little while, so it took me like a year to really get there to help him. So it was like, you know, like this like time in the winter, I went to his studio and just helped him make a couple of these puppets, and uh, it was fun. And we just hang, hung out, and I talk to him more about like because he would ask me questions about what i thought about this like this show and i got and i knew that like i i sort of had this idea of a character named ricky rainbow beard you know sort of that like the the genesis just being like whenever you look close at your beard and you see like different colors of hair you're like well there's some different colors in here um like that was like part of the reason and then also i liked the idea of like being able to change the color of your beard whenever you want, you know? So it wasn't like the idea of a full rainbow, but more like, Oh, it can just like, I could just like twist my ear and now it's green, you know? Um, 
So I, I liked that idea and I would tell him about that. And, uh, I think to thank me, he made that paper mache character in this and like did illustrations. And he was like, this is Ricky rainbow beard. (laughs) And you're (laughs) that it is. And I'm like, Oh, I think I have to do this now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, that was like enough of a nudge where I'm like, I think I should try this. And it was at least like a visual. So I put together a costume that was similar to that. And, um, at the time I was doing a lot of work in Burnside park. Uh, they, uh, there's a, uh, this woman, Jen Smith, who runs the, the like programming for the, for the Burnside park. And uh, I mean, essentially it could be any park, but it's formal, like pretty much centered around Burnside in downtown Providence. Um, and she was in charge of the programming and had a program called um, Story Time and Art in the Park and uh, contacted me like a couple years into into it looking for somebody to kind of take over the like the arts part of it back uh-huh. in uh, 2014. And uh, she said, well, like I get this email that said, uh, we really want to do a summer focused on Maurice Sendak's books. Um would you be interested in this? It's like every Thursday throughout the summer. I remember being like so excited. And then like, I remember like telling friends, I'm like, Hey, I got to ask to do this thing. They're like, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, why? like, I'm like, Oh, this is something that maybe just, I'm going to be excited about. It was cool. I made like these big, like, you know, wa- like big wild thing cutouts for the park. And like, you know, they have like a small budget to make stuff to like, transform the park somewhat into a storybook so also as part of the programming jen said hey you know if you want to try this character and do like a show in the park you know like we have we have like i can program the stage for pvd fest and like you could do the show there so that yeah. was the first time i tried doing the show uh, was like uh, like outside at like four o'clock in the afternoon and during the pvd fest how'd it go i mean it was hard i mean i think I, there were some things i thought i had to do like a certain way um you know and like in studying your, you know, where, like where you're coming from. Like Fred Rogers was like, you know, I like script, every word is scripted and every word matters because you're speaking to children and you, you know, you need, you need to make sure you're doing a great job of that. So for him, it was all about the script and you don't putz around with the words. It's like people have said, and he said it different ways, but it's basically the same message. Um, so I wrote a very tight script and then used that, but, it wasn't, that's not for me. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, that's not going to be my style ever. Yeah. And, and essentially I'm like, I like working with the feedback of, uh, of, of people in a crowd. And even more so I've learned that I don't like, like it even being like a stage crowd type of relationship. It's more like a teacher and students relationship. And, and I, I'd, I'd like it like that. Like it's a classroom that is also a talk show, right? Like you're, you're like part of a show that's a, like, I'm going to treat you like you're in, in a class. So yeah. you're as much part of this as anything else if you come. So the type of show that I prefer to do and the type of show I really like to do is about, you know, is, a, is meant for an, an interior space where it's like most that you can really fit there is like 60, 70 people, which like, like where I do it now at the S220 Black Box is like, that's how that's what it fits that's what's that's what's there that's generally about how many people who, who like show up for them um now do you record that show when you do it or is it i'm gonna start doing that now yeah um i like there's one of the things i wrote in like when, when i applied for like risk of funding 
and they gave me the I got a grant for it yeah. so this year so I'm like excited to be able to like, oh I can definitely use this money for exactly that um, and I don't I mean I didn't the idea of it being like a like a televised thing or a you know a made for video type of uh, presentation is something I'm interested in but not um, like it's not the way I produce the show now you know so it's meant for the intimate space but I feel like there's a way of creating intimacy in any space and that's what I've like focused on as well like especially this summer where I sort of was like so you get worried about what the elements might bring in you know you're like oh if I'm going to do a show and it's going to rain like you know everything's gonna every, it's all gonna get messed up like this doesn't <laughs> yeah, work especially your stuff i it mean you, this will get ruined. cardboard out yeah. in the rain you know right um so but i think it made me like like work on other ways of being able to bring the same ideas in even in a space where you might get pouring rain happen and like it could still work um uh yeah even like I know, my, my wife challenges me a lot with this and i definitely think of her as like a co-writer on all of this like i I sort of work on it all with her and she can like, like smell the, like the BS from a long distance. So <laughs> if, if any of it, any of it is going that direction, she pushes me back. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think I was like planning an outdoor, like just a, like a reading, a reading hour with like Ricky rainbow beard and guests. Um, and like the show I was putting together, was sort of lazy anyway, but I'm like, ah, you know, I'm going to just do this reading hour. And, but I'm wasn't excited for it because the, the forecast only said it was going to rain that day, but they're not going to call it until the morning of the thing. And I just remember like a few nights before just being very unenthusiastic about what I was doing. And Talia said, why don't you just do a rain themed show? Just make it all about rain and just plan that there's going to be a ton of rain. And I'm like, that's a ton of work. I was like, man, like, that's so much work. I don't want to do all that extra work. <laughs> and, uh, and then I like, went down to here and I like started working on what I was doing. And I was like, she's so right. I got to do that. <laughs> I have to do that actually. So I put together like a whole, like a plan that it was going to rain, like knowing I'm like, I'm going to bring some books that are like as waterproof as possible. And um, I even like took a thing of glitter and like just, change the label it says rain now and i will, <laughs> um and i made rain sticks and like so i'm like i everything i planned is like if as if it didn't rain <laughs> right <laughs> because yeah. like it was gonna get canceled if it rained yeah. but i'm like the theme is rain so like, basically that's and it didn't rain of course oh, nice. it didn't rain yeah of course yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and like i had raincoat and like like rain boots on for it and i made a rain beard so it was just like as if rain was coming up you know so it was <laughs> yeah. that was the ricky rain beard show <laughs> um <laughs> and and then I, I didn't use microphones I'm like if it was raining we would not have us we would not have a pa out here so like right. everybody gathering closer you know yeah and so it was like okay i know i have these limitations Let's create intimacy in, a, in another way here. And I did like, I did a thing for the RISD alumni weekend this past, like this, um, what would have been? I mean, I don't know. This at is RISD not, Beach, right? It was at RISD Beach. Um, and it was like one of the most fun times I've had doing that. And it's it's really just like creating one like simple gag that can be made, you know. And for, for me, it was I made a bunch of little surfers, like little paper surfers that you could make and like little like – like strings of blue ribbon on uh, on sticks, and I had Fancy there with me, 
and like fancy would help like ripple the waves that you made. So it was like, <laughs> we're making waves, we're making surfers, and then you can surf the surfer in the wave. And like a, any kid I show it to, like the light up on their face was like, I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we just had uh, yes. nice moments of sitting together and doing that. How do you become the person that can do what you're doing right now? How does Ricky Rainbow Beard actually happen? Honestly, the best answer is other people. Like, I can't do it without other people. And, like, that's a, a good thing to remember. For somebody uh, who's, like, wants to do everything himself, you know? Like, I want to just be in here making it all by myself. But, you know, and I you know, I know, like, I fight my own, like, controlling aspects all, all the time. Like, it's, they're there. Um like, I want to make all these objects. People, like, make me things. I'm like, eh, I don't know. You know? <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, like, I, it's a, it's sort of a struggle for me to embrace it. But when I do embrace it, it's way better. Like, it's better for, like, everybody else in the room. It's it just every, it just ripples in that way. Like, in the way that, like, waves will ripple. You know, it's very similar to that. Um, and so the more people, so every show has at least three special, special guests. Um, and, uh, and that's like become necessary for like a full production. Like I do like a smaller birthday party. It's going to be like, I'm coming, I'm going to bring you these like, like fun bag of tricks for a little bit. Um, but like for these like intimate shows, I put like everyone has, every one of them has a theme. Um, like in a way everything is scripted every, like all the moments are very uh, like very planned and structured with a lot of room left for whatever is going to go wrong. Cause things go wrong all the time and, uh, and embracing the fact that they're going to go wrong. You know, I remember I did a show, um, I just called bugs. Like in back in June, it was bugs. <laughs> and I got, I got two entomologists from like a lab at URI to come. Oh, nice. I went like, I went and visited their lab beforehand. Cause like there's a simple, like simple rules I have to be on the show. We're just going to go hang out once. It only has to be once and it can be anything. And we're just going to hang out and somewhere in the process we'll plan something, you know, whatever it is, but it's going to happen organically. Cause I'm not like, none of it's going to be forced. I'm not going to sit there and be like, what are we going to do? Um, it's, we're going to hang out and the answers will come, you know? Um, so with the entomologist it's easy. They're like, come visit the lab. It's awesome. You know? And I, my eyes get like hugely open, just like spending an hour with them. I'm like, I don't even know how to like dissect this for like this kid audience. Cause they told me things that I, like I, I just never heard of people doing experience. I know obviously everybody has different weird jobs, but, <laughs> but I mean, like I get there. The first thing they tell me is like, so we've been like doing this experiment with wasps and caterpillars. Cause we found that the wasps are taking over this region and the caterpillars are sorting like dying off. And we're, we're trying to balance things. That's what we're doing. It's a ecology lab. So, and this is like how fast they were talking, right? So the, it's ecology lab we're trying to balance things. So we've been doing this experiment. Where we take the wasps and we glue their mouths shut and then we put them in a cage with the caterpillars <laughs> oh and, the, and, the, and then they antagonize the caterpillars, but they can't hurt them. So then we take the caterpillars who are brave and don't care. And we try to breed those. I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to dissect that for kids, but I'm fascinated. And then there and then uh, there was just like a flippant comment made towards the end that like, well, you know, 
um, there's more non-human cells on us than there's human, like on us and in us. Not just on us, but in us too. Um, and if the, if we get rid of them, we die. I'm like, wow. And that that actually that's one of those things I heard this year when I went. I don't know how anybody could ever be like a selfish person. If you know, if that's a that's a fact, right? Uh, there's a bunch of things basically keeping me alive that are in me that are not me. Um, and without them, I die. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I'm like a bag, like being dragged around by a bunch of organisms. <laughs> like, okay. I mean, right. I, you know, it's humbling. It's humbling. And to me, it was humbling in a way that was special. Yeah. Um, but I think they also said, we're going to bring all these bugs. And they have like a pet. They have a pet bug uh, in the – like big enough because like, he's like a big bug. He's like this big and he looks like a scorpion and he was called a vinegaroon. He's mm. holding his fingers up and it's probably about like, I don't know, eight inches It's the size of an iPhone. And, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's like a six-inch a... sub or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean like the body's like this in the middle and like the legs Gosh. spread out longer. Yeah. And so they yeah, look scorpion-like. They brought my nightmare, my living nightmare. Yeah. I can't go on. And they're like, <laughs> you want to hold him? I'm like, sure. You know, I'm like, I'll be brave and hold the bug. And they're like, he's very harmless, you know. Um, like if he gets nervous, he'll just spray you with an acid that smells like vinegar, hence the name Vinegaroon. And I'm like, huh. okay, cool. Um, I held him. He was nice. Uh, and they're like, we're going to bring him. His name, he even had a name. His name's Santiago. We're going to bring Santiago with us. Um, and they're like, we're going to bring a lot of moths. So they had a lot of moths, like beautiful, big, big moths. And, and they're like, yeah, we'll take him out. I said, it's a theater though. So there are lights everywhere, like bright lights. They're like, it's fine. Like if they, I mean, they only live two days, really. I'm like, what's crazy? This is not crazy. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go in this theater, but they're like, it should be fine. I'm like, they were not worried about it. Huh. So when it came time, like the entomologist came out and they brought the first thing they did was like had the vinegaroon. They like put him out. They put him out on my carpet, like that I keep on stage, and they put him out, let him crawl around, and and like like kids are like, whoa, fascinated, and like the kids there, and the parents all left at this point. No, because everybody's the, fine, the but like terrifying. the kids are like, <laughs> like, like intrigued on a special. Like they just want to get closer to the bug, you right. know? Because cool, that is a cool thing. It's like you just <laughs> dropped a, the coolest action figure in the middle of the yeah. other room, and I'm like, well, you might want to pick that up because those kids are gonna go for it, yeah, and they're then gonna crush it. So like one of them, like you know, this this guy Alex just comes and like shows it around, like oh, like he walks through the audience to like for them to see it, and there was like a two-year-old who was who there who just like so, like as he's passing it the two-year-old was like grabbed it and just started running <laughs> <laughs> just because not like to hurt it just yeah. like totally fascinating like somebody offered him a toy and he's like oh cool let yeah me take this is this. mine now great i'm gonna take this and look at it and he just like he was focused on hanging out with that bug as he like darted in the other direction oh everyone starts <laughs> running after him oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and uh it was fine and then like one of the moths went up to the light and they're like yeah don't worry they even said it they're like yeah it's They'll live another day at most, you know. <laughs> this is like a harsh lesson on death yeah. right now, but <laughs> and uh, it worked. You know, you worked with it in the moment. It was definitely crazier than I thought it would be. Even I thought it would be kind of crazy. Um, but you know, it's like you have these weird stories that are kind of magic. And all the moths came back. Like the moth came down from the light. You know? Oh, really? Wow. Yep. Missed his home. Yeah, it was all. It, it all worked out fine. Even though it was like crazy and people were like tense for a little bit, it was uh, it was right. Worth and there's it. there's that live aspect that 
I don't think Mr. Rogers ever had, right? It was all no. pre-recorded. So and like, it was like the idea of like speaking to one child or like just right. one through to a camera. You right. know? That was the a big part of it. I really like having that crowd because it is like it's a classroom. You know, there's never really more than like 30 kids, you know. Um, so that's it – work, it works out nicely. You know, when you're in college and you, you're in your senior year and you started doing the designs based off of the input from the kids and you realized, like, I want to make a difference in the world, I think starting with young kids has that impact. And that, in many ways, has culminated in, in this, much of the stuff you're doing now. Do you think that's like a a continuation of the Mr. Rogers legacy? Do you Is it just helping these kids be emotionally rounded or is it just... I don't know. Are there a ton of aspects to how you see this helping the world and helping these kids develop? Yeah, I think it, I think the last part of what you said is a little closer to truth. That, and I also don't like. I'm not. I'm not that much in charge of whether it works or not. Um, and I don't, I don't think that uh, like Fred Rogers was either. You know, in a way, you're just doing your work and you don't know how it's going to affect other people. You sort of have to allow that space that happens in between it to be the thing that that informs like that in like that actually creates that help. It's one of the big like lessons that I think Fred Rogers talked about was this like need for patience and like accepting that things take time um and showing that that I I I think that's one of the like most needed lessons right now. Um like cuz everything is present everything that we have in life now is so fast. You know what it it, it in a helpful way like in it's all it was always like things that have been developed to be helpful to to ourselves um and i i i like that like i like that i can send a text message to somebody and it'll be there in a second i don't i don't i don't have a problem I'm not a luddite who hates technology <laughs> but i i do like think there's a ton of uh value in just waiting and just just like sitting sitting around um, it's like why I say like a third of my time is this word float, which is like, I know that I could say that I spend a third of my time doing nothing and it like sounds bad or it sure. sounds like, well, then like, are you lazy or are you, um, trying? Are you like, what are you doing? Like, no, this is a necessary part of like everyone's life. Like everyone should be doing this. It's not, um, it's just something that gets lost with the with a speed, with a speed aspect that is helpful. Um, you think that's a little bit like mindfulness or is it not? Uh, yeah, I definitely think it's pretty close to that. I like, I liked, like I heard a guy talking about mindfulness a couple weekends ago and he was just like that, that very clear idea that you can have an emotion and then like be able to step back and be like, Oh, that's that. That's anger. That's what it looks like. I'm having it right now. But I'm like able to step back from it while I'm having it and go like, oh, that's anger. That's right. Like right now I'm mad because that person just cut me off in the car, you know, and I'm and like I know that I'm mad about that. But instead of like focusing and being in it, I'm going to like step back and be like, oh, yeah, I'm angry about that. But there's nothing I can do about it. And honestly, it's not really worth being angry about. But this is like a real feeling. You can't like you can't ignore the feeling. I think that's the other part. That's like why it's that's why I want to be able to talk about them. It's why I think that like all of the feelings matter. Where it's like don't like the phrase don't be sad is like no. Be sad. <laughs> if it's if you're sad, be sad. If you're happy, be happy. If whatever feeling you're having like you can have it. It's fine. It should be fine. 
Um, and if, if you feel like it's not fine, then let's talk about that. You know, let's yeah. talk about why maybe you think it's not fine or like, why are you crying? Why are you crying at a beautiful thing? Like you, why are you crying that things are so happy right now that you're crying? Um, I mean, I think what you're maybe crying about is the fact that a lot of things aren't <laughs> hmm. like a lot of things aren't happy. And this is, you know, and like, I'm, I love this so much that, um, it's making me realize when I don't have this. Yeah. And it's worth crying about. Well, I've got one more question for you because I want to be, I want to honor your time. And just before we end, thank you so much for having us in your home, in your space. This is incredible. Thanks for coming and hanging out in the space that people usually hang out in. Yeah. It's an honor to be welcome. So (laughs) really appreciate that. Um, The last question I had for you is kind of, so we've, we've had this, big overview of your story. Um, got to go into some details about your creative process and kind of the, uh, heard a, and, and seen kind of a glimpse into the person who you are kind, generous, fun, welcoming, uh, a champion of curiosity as you've, you've shared. And I'm sure there are other superlatives that we can give you as well. The rainbowest, beardiest, <laughs> rickiest. Yeah. The yeah. Um, but I think, you know, an appropriate question to kind of end with is how has this experience transformed you? Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, the, the mindfulness of like wanting to be the person that kids think that Ricky rainbow beard is. Yeah. I mean, that's that it, it makes me be more considerate of every situation I'm in, every person that I encounter. Um, it's also made me, uh, have to reflect on times in my life when I've never not been come close to that person where I've definitely hurt other people or been, uh, quick to judge or, uh, or any, any of those things, any of the things that I could look at, uh, from, uh, a lens of what I sort of, uh, know is kindness and what isn't and know the, the times that I've, I've done that. And sort of a a tone for them, and also realize like I take responsibility for those uh, those those times in my life. It's all like part of who I am too. Um, so I don't know. It just it wa- it makes me want to be that that good person that like I when I see uh, uh, kids look at me that way, um, it definitely it just gives me like a bunch more juice to want to be that person. Yeah. So. Um, because in a way it it is, there's a falseness to that. I'm an imperfect human. I have a ton of infallible things. I, there's a, there's a ton of rays where I'm not able to be that great, you know? And I think for years, that aspect kept me from doing this project. That was like, I'm not good enough to be this person. And I actually think that's a lie. Like, I think that the best thing anyone could take away from that is like, um, you can just stop. You can just stop for a second and start being that person that you think <laughs> it is the best. Yeah. Um, and you're going to make mistakes and that's totally fine, but definitely be that person. Cause that if you have those moments of knowing it, you can just start practicing it. And once you start practicing it, it becomes second nature, just like anything you practice. Um, and so like telling myself that, um, or at least giving myself the permission 
was the best way. And I, and I was honest about it. There are a lot of people I encounter where I'd say like, I want to do this kid show, but like, I'm not the, I'm not, a, I'm not the right person to do this for whatever reason. And I've gotten, I got challenged by people. That's why other people, it matters. Like talk about how you feel, um, be vulnerable and open with people around you and you'd be surprised. You know, you're, I think more surprised than, um, than anything. Um, like it's, it's definitely better than keeping it in. So, yeah. So if people want to learn more, where can they find you? Um, I mean, I, I try to be as available as possible. Um, I'm like, I'll respond to any of the social media places where I am, um, like pretty fast. So like I have an Instagram page that is just under my name, R dot k to its good luck spelling that yeah no, we'll post it in the show notes <laughs> um there's also like you could there's a rainbow beard show facebook page which like facebook's just a place for events to connect with people in a real way um and i i think i would like it to just be like event book now i'd be cool <laughs> with just event book um uh, but it's because it's really well set up for that um so those are like the two main places to get in touch with me. And also like I take emails, my phone numbers also available. I'm not really like shut off to all of those things of ways to get in touch with me. So beautiful. And our birthday parties and thing, is that stuff you like to do or is that just kind of one off su- things? You no, do I was really surprised because I was kind of pushed back knowing that like doing a birthday, doing birthday parties is like being a clown, but I, I've done like two birthday parties now. I loved them both a lot and i would definitely do more so yeah cool well thanks so much thank you thank you guys thanks again to ricky for being on our show today if you want to learn more about him and what he's up to you can go to you can do it do it.com we've posted the show notes there and have lots of other information also big thank you to night swim for the use of their song fiji for this podcast Last but not least, please go on iTunes, give us a review. We'd love to know what you think about the show. And uh, thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Have a good one.